don't know my wife, Holly, would you stand up, please? Us missionaries like to make our wife stand up, amen? Yeah, they think we got to do all the work. They got to at least do something, don't they, Brother Fred, amen? <laughs> I know I'm in trouble for that one already. Sometimes us men just stick our foot in our mouths, don't we, amen? Well, sure, a blessing to be here, like I said, but I want to say one thing before I go on. When Brother Fred came to our first prison, it was up at North Coast. And I'm telling you, at altar call time, I seen a man stand back in the room weeping for souls, crying for them men that were come back to get saved. I'm going to tell you, Brother Fred has more of a heart than most of the people go to prison with me. And I need him. I need him to get a support, and I need you folks to pray for him. Pray for the Lord to put Desi and him both on the field quicker. I mean, it's a hard time right now, but I know this man's heart. I've seen it, and I need men like that in prison. Let me tell you, them men behind bars know when you're real and you're not. And they know when Brother Fred comes in, he's real. So if you put an extra few prayers a day in for him to get his support... See, I need him at least up to 75%. Then I got to send him down to Cleveland, Tennessee to go through, uh, um, so, oh, excuse me, um, coordinator's class. Because Fred ain't just going to go preach for me in prison. He's going to take some over for me once I get to open new prisons up. I need a man to do that. And he's gotta, I got to have him. And this time and age, it's just hard for people to get support. But I pray that you'll lift him up in prayer more, that he'll get his support quicker. Amen. I'm on a men's conference in Mansfield. I'm going to introduce him to a bunch of preachers down there. So I'll try to get him to get him some support. So, well, anyhow, uh, this last February, they made me the regional state coordinator of Ohio. I was just happy going into prison and coordinating, but... You know, when our ministry, when they pray about something, you don't argue with that because they're getting with God about it. So, And it's been a blessing to me because, you know, instead of my hands being tied and, and, and going to somebody else, I'm opened up now to do what I see needs to be done in Ohio. And what a blessing it is that now, you know, for the years we've been in, we see people get saved. But then I'm praying, Lord, this is... This is I, these guys get saved, but they're not getting nourished. They're not getting uh, the good stuff. You know, we don't know what all goes into prison to teach them the wrong stuff. Well, Brother Napper come up. He's my boss over in Pennsylvania. Come up with a Bible study. There are three sets of ten lessons. And it starts with salvation. And every man in prison, women or juvenile, now they get saved. They get an envelope. And they get two lessons. And they... Um, study that and they fill it out and they send it back to me and we grade it and send them back the next one and the first 10 when they're done they get a nice certificate for finishing it and after the next two they get certificates but then when they finally finish the course uh they get a rock of ages study bible right now i've just started this one i think back in june and i got 123 men women and juvenile are going through the bible study 
We're getting three to five lessons in a day grade. That makes me excited. I don't know about you, but them men are getting fed. Amen. They're getting excited. You ought to see the letters they send with it back to me about how it's helping them. Amen. What a blessing that is. But also, Brother Fred wanted to tell me tell you about a man. There's a man named Joe that I led to the Lord about four years ago down at Belmont Correctional Institute. Next time I seen him was up at North Coast Correctional. Brother Fred and I, or Brother Joe, I led him to the Lord down there at Belmont. But we got to be friends, and when he seen him up there, he'd make these little cloth crosses he would give out to everybody. Well, here, last January, Brother Joe calls me up. And he says, Brother Combs, he said, my church is dead. I said, yeah? Well, it ain't a Baptist church. And you said, you'd preach in a non-Baptist? Yeah. Amen? And he says, I told the people in our church they need a Rock of Ages prison revival in our church. He said, would you pray about it? I said, Brother Joe, I don't think we have to pray about that one. So we went up and held a three-day revival in that church. His grandmother was the senior pastor. I didn't know that till I got there, preacher. <laughs> but these elder people sat in the second row right there that ran that church. And I did a Brother Garrett. They're sitting there, I don't know if they're praying against me or what, preacher. They hadn't had a revival in that church in 25 years. And I just said, listen, we're going to treat you like a bunch of inmates tonight. We had a three-day revival in that church. We had one adult, two teenagers get saved. That rolled people that didn't want us there coming up saying, we need you here, don't leave. We need you in our church. I said, you don't need us, you need God. Don't let men run, let God run this church. But anyhow, the young man that I led to the Lord that was an inmate, like the preacher said, is it jailhouse religion? He's becoming their pastor. And besides that, I had a Baptist preacher I know from up in that area. He was at the meeting we was at in uh, February, and the people liked him. So he's up there every Tuesday night teaching them doctrine. They're going to become a Baptist church preacher. <laughs> Amen. But Brother Joe called me up and he says, these people up here, they're getting mad at me. They said, they want you guys back. So we're going to have another revival in March of next year up there. But you know what God was doing all along? He was putting on my heart. Not just prisons, but our churches. He was put on my heart saying, we need to do more for our churches. There's little churches out there struggling, and they're not having revival in the churches because they can't afford to get preachers in to have the revival in. We've had five revivals in the church, five different churches already this year and got one more to do. We go in there and don't charge the church. I mean, the churches are, pastors are offering us money. We say, we don't want your money. That's not what it's about. And, and, and it's called Rock of Ages giving back. 
And we go in there and I pe- take people, preacher, in to sing, and we get preaching going, and been seeing people getting saved. One church we was in, a 70-year-old couple went to the altar and was just getting ready to get divorced and reconciled with God and each other. We need revivals in our churches. Like the preacher said earlier, sometimes we just need to do it without no money. You know that? If every young preacher or missionary went to do something and only did it because they got paid, shame on them. Shame on them. You young preachers in here today, you better think about that one. God will use you mightily, but he wants a heart involved in it. Amen? But I'll tell you what a blessing it's been. I've been in the ministry now 14 years, and it's just as sweet as the first day I started. God is moving into prisons. And um, one more thing before I preach. Down at Noble Correctional, where Brother Fred, we was in there in August, and uh, we seen 38 men get saved. Amen? What a revival we had. But, you know, in June, that uh, chaplain, Eno, called me and says, we're getting so many volunteers, we're going to have to cut you back to one day. I got off, I was, my heart was hurt. I mean, that's a, uh, I love all the prisons, but it just hurt me that they were going to cut us back. And, and after the first day of revival in August, the chaplain said, let's go schedule. He got in the office, and, and he started shaking his head, and he says, I can't cut you guys back. He says, these men, they don't come up and ask about any other group. They always ask about Rock of Ages. We need them in here more. We changed our days. We're going in just twice, you know, two days, but with three revivals each day in that prison. Plus, we get to go in once a month and and do discipleship. Amen. Plus, he gave us an extra time while we're going there. Then the Lord blessed us by giving us a nice place to stay down there. We lost the one we were at, and only about three miles from the prison, we're staying in a beautiful farmhouse, amen? God's blessing. Listen to me. Don't be surprised when God answers prayer, amen? Too many people act surprised when God answers prayer. You know, sometimes I do too, but God is so good. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles over to Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter 11, I'm going to... Read one verse and I'm going to pray. When you're there, say amen. amen. Boy, I love to hear the pages of the Bible turned. Amen. What a blessing that is. Well, it says in uh, verse 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Father God, we come to you tonight, Father God, and We just want to praise you and thank you for being the mighty God of heaven and earth, Father God, the mighty God of me. Lord, you love me so much you sent your son. I'm so undeserving of that. Lord, I'm so undeserving to be up behind Pastor O'Donnell's pulpit to preach. But Lord, I ask you to speak through me the words you want me to say, not what I want. And I pray, Lord God, that these people in here tonight, they see you and and, and not see me, if they look at me, I failed them. And Lord God, we'll praise you and thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message tonight is called The Urgency of a Soul. 
I'll tell you, um, about a year ago, last September, I had one of my best friends, a Native American gentleman, 93 years old, pass home. I pass on, I, I wrote it in a prayer letter. His name was Bob White Eagle. Bob White Eagle, I've been witnessing to four years. But he was turned 93 and he was turning frail and, 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 and he just was not looking good. And you asked my wife at that spring before that, I went up to Salamanca, New York, four and a half hour drive just to witness to Bob. I went up there and, and it was always that uh, it's a private thing. I said, I don't know about you. It ain't private to me. What God did for me, I need to tell people about it. But it never, never. But on the 26th of September, the 27th of September, I got a call from his daughter, and she's crying and saying they give him my dad. They don't, he's, any time he could pass away. And I looked at Holly, and I said, Holly, I got to go. I got to go up there. I said, I'll leave at 7 o'clock in the morning to head up there. Well, I woke up in the morning, and, and God put it on me. He urged me, and at 6 o'clock, I left to go up there, stop one time all the way up to Salamanca, New York. I knew I was going to be in a house of a lot of lost people. A lot of Native Americans were in that house being with Bob. Well, I walked through the door, and they said, go on into the bedroom, and his family is with him in there, and Bob was sitting there, like, laying on the bed. She said, they ain't been coherent in 12 hours. You know, old Satan, just like he would, he said, well, Alan, you don't have to say anything. It's too late. I didn't listen to him. I walked up beside the bed, and I said, Bob, it's Alan. Twelve hours not being coherent. And he turned his head and looked at me and smiled and grabbed my hand. I said, Bob, I said, I wouldn't be a very good friend or a very good preacher if I didn't tell you about Jesus one more time. And I'm sitting there, and he couldn't talk. I said, Bob, would you accept Christ as your Savior? And he smiled and shook his head. An hour later, he died. If I'd have waited to 7 o'clock, I'd have missed it. When God speaks to you, better listen to him and do it. But the first one we're going to talk about is the drive, drive for souls. You know, death in Hebrews 9.27, it says... And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that is this is judgment. We're talking about depressing death. Uh, 1.8 deaths per second. 152,505 per day according to the University of T or ITT Tech. You're talking about 152,505 souls going off to eternity. And most of them ain't going off into heaven. That many people die in a day. Number three, a, pressing, a present death. Luke 12.20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? I'm going to tell you, we keep saying, hey, I got time. I got time to witness to them, but I got time. I'm going to tell you, you're not promised time. We're not promised if we're going to last 
Five minutes, five seconds from now, I could be dying right here in the pulpit tonight. There's people out there, family members, friends, and they're dying and going off into hell, and we're sitting there doing nothing about it, church. We're living in the church of Laodicea days, where the people in church are not wanting to do anything. I mean, we're looking at this election and seeing what we got to vote for. What is the problem? And the Christians are the problem. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We could go out there and, oh, we don't want him in there to do that. We'll do something about it. We got to do something about it. Instead of griping about the office of the President of the United States, let's quit talking about it and go win souls. If you're a Christian here today, you're a missionary out of this church. And your field is right here in Akron, Ohio. It's what I tell the men behind bars. Right here in, in, in uh, Grafton Correctional, I told them on Sunday, I said, your mission field is here. We can't go back in them dorms, but you can. I took about 1,500 tracks in the next day, and they were all gone by the time I left. But them guys always ask for tracks, a few of them. People are dying. And I'm going to tell you, there's people in this room that knows family members already died off and went into hell. I believe that's where my dad is. When I was a kid, he got shot at a party. I don't know, I just prayed when he was young, somebody led him to the Lord. But when I got saved, when I got saved, wasn't even a week later, the Lord was leaning on my heart telling me, I need to witness this biker buddy of mine, and I think I've told you this years ago, and I said, Lord, I don't want to witness to him. He'll cuss me. He won't speak peaceably to me. Well, I fought the Lord two weeks in a row, and my friend died of a heart attack, tax shovel and snow. His blood is on my hands. There's nothing I can do about it. There's an urgency for souls, church. How about the destruction? You know, we're talking about past destruction. The lives uh, are destroyed by sin. I go down to Hawking Correctional. I don't know if you've ever been there yet, Fred. Hawking Correctional is 55 and older. I watch an old man die in there. I talked to one man in 80-some years old, and he said, I've only spent 25 on the outside. The past of their life is destruction. The present... Uh, destruction. Sin is running. It's sin is ruining lives. It's ruining families and 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 friends. And just like I was telling Brother Fred, uh, he asked me to say something about a a biker I led to the Lord up at North Coast. Big John was his name. He had tattoos all over his head, all over his body. Owned a tattoo shop. First day I got to lead him to the Lord. Second day commences, God put on my heart not to open my tattoo shop anymore. Amen. This was in September. Here's a man fresh one day and obeying God already. Amen. We didn't get back there until March. Big John come in. You see how big I am. This man come up and lifted me up the ground and swung me around. I said, my 
said, what happened, Brother John? He said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, my ex-wife got saved and we're getting remarried. He said, my son that told me over four years now that he hated me and not come to see me got saved and he's coming to visit me and tell me he loves me. Witnessing to people will help get their families back together. The world ain't doing it today. They said, let's just go visit this psychiatrist. This guy, he putting the money in his pocket and running. But you show him God. Let them realize they're sinners and deserve hell. Let them get saved and watch how God changes them. Amen. Listen, what, what about the future destruction? No hope but Jesus. And the only hope they're going to get if somebody tells them about it. If you're sitting in here today and, and you walk by a, a guy that has a hundred earrings in his head and hair spiked up and... That's a soul that needs to be saved. God will work on him if you show your heart. Like Brother Garris would always say, when I'm witnessing to somebody, I'm not witnessing to that person. I'm witnessing to the Lord and he sees my heart and he saves them. Ain't nothing about us anyhow but God using us. And if you don't want to be used, he'll put you on the shelf and use somebody else. The preparation of hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not man. And they're going down there. They're going to a place they were sure weren't invited to in the first place. Listen, the presence of hell uh, demands action. You know, Luke 16 cries out for souls. This should, this should drive us to win souls here alone. You say, I can't do it, I'm backwards or I'm shy. Listen to me, when I got saved from the time I was 18 years old up to 35, I couldn't even eat in a restaurant because I had claustrophobia so bad I couldn't go anywhere except when I was drunk. I couldn't be around nobody until then. And I'm going to tell you what, when I got saved and, and the Lord put on my heart, He was going to use me and I'm sitting there, how are you going to use me? I, I can't be used, I can't talk to people. You know what? He put on my heart. I went up to the IX Center to a sportsman show where there's over 100,000 people in that place at once. And I felt that in me, but I fought it, and God took me through it. Now I preach in front of 1,000 people. Amen? If you can't do it, pray for boldness. Pray God will get you through it. Wake up every morning like I do, say, Lord, put somebody in my life today that I can witness to. I know uh, Brother Gibbs, Dr. Gibbs, the, the attorney, Christian attorney, told us one time that he uh, flew in at midnight up in the upper state Michigan for revival, and, and a man picked him up from the church, and on their way back to the church, this guy told Brother Gibbs, he said, I prayed to the Lord that he would allow me to win one soul a day the rest of my life. Brother Gibbs said, how's it going? He said, for seven years now, I've got to lead somebody to the Lord. Brother Gibbs and them stopped at a convenience store after midnight. And this guy's pumping gas, and he's looking at the lady at the counter. He says, I wonder if this is my one for the day. And Brother Gibbs 
looked at him like this. And this guy had no cooth. He walked in there and went up the counter. He says, you want to get saved or what? <laughs> Lady starts smiling. Said, I'm already saved. She brought the biggest Bible you ever seen out from under the counter. Put it on there. Brother Gibbs said, well, this one ain't the, that one ain't for today. But behind Brother Gibbs said a lady, says, I'm not saved. He turned around turned his attention to that lady. Pretty soon he had her on her knees, and they were writing him in the middle of the convenience store on their knees, both of them. And these two guys walked in, thought the place was being held up. <laughs> said, what's going on? What's going on? He says, well, this lady is not saved, and... And brother, this brother here is uh, leading the Lord. And this one guy said, I'm not saved either. And he joined them. Listen to me. Brother Gibbs says, does that count for the day after? He says, I never count. If I get two, three, four, five in one day, I never count them for the next day. He prayed to God to give him the souls every day for the rest of his life. But you know something? He believed that God would do it. Don't you pray a prayer like that unless you mean it. Because you'll be lying to God if it doesn't happen, if you don't do it. about the devotions for the soul? The power of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What about the power of of the written word. Boy, we got the written word. We got, we got the ammunition right here. We got the word of God right here. To tell somebody and show them about our sweet Lord and Savior. Open it up. We're opening up so it'll open their eyes up. Amen. What about tracks? Preacher, you ask Brother Fred. I tell some people that go with me to prison. If you don't hand tracks out, you ain't going to prison with me no more. If you go in there and preach to them inmates and don't worry about the souls on the outside, I don't want any part of you coming with me. Man, out of your church, Brother Herman got saved by reading the tracts. Preacher man now, amen. Somebody went and had time to leave these tracts in the men's stall in the restrooms. My favorite place to leave tracts. My wife and I went up last uh, year ago Last summer to watch my little nieces, they were doing tumbling, what is that? Gymnastics. And I'm sitting there watching and I'm getting mad the way they're dressed. So I go and find the restroom and them big high schools got rows of stalls. Well, I go into one of them and I'm sitting there and, and I look at that toilet paper rack and I start unwinding it and I start putting tracks up in it. <laughs> go to the next one, start putting tracks up some high school kids were going to get the Word of God on Monday morning, amen. amen. Toll booth. Brother Hildebrand with our ministry was going through a toll booth and, and handed a tract, said, you know, Christ is your Savior. That person shut the light off that they were not working and he got to lead that person to the Lord. Many times late at night I'd go through drive through windows and stop and talk to the lady or the man in the windows about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've seen people saved right in McDonald's windows. God is so good. 
He'll use you. Then when you're leaving, I wasn't tired no more driving the rest of the way home. Amen. That revival preacher up at that church up by Toledo, Brother Joseph Pastor of now, we weren't done. I was on fire. We got by there and we stopped at a, what was that, Wendy's or something? And I got to lead a lady to the Lord in the window on the way home from that revival. Listen to me. I'm not bragging about myself. I'm bragging about Him. Because I'm going to tell you it's Him that saves them. But He'll use us. And He'll give us that blessing to see it happen. Bob White Eagle died one hour after he got saved. He went into heaven, preacher, with no crowns to throw at nobody's feet. But I start thinking how many people have been in churches and saved for 15, 20, 30, 40 years are going into, into heaven with the same amount of crowns that Bob did. Are you one of them people sitting in this church today that's been saved but ain't done nothing for Christ? I know this is a soul-winning church. I know this. I'll tell you what. I've been to a lot of churches, and I love this church about it. But there's some of you that wouldn't raise your hand to do anything. You say, I'm saved and going to heaven. That's all that matters. Well, shame on you. I was a no-good biker. Didn't care for nothing. Had a hundred-pound nothing preacher witness to me. I could have broke him in half. But I'm going to tell you something. He witnessed to me. And he come Bible study with me on Tuesday nights. That one night I looked at it and just started crying and says, I deserve hell. God sent a man for me. God sent a person for you. Shame on you for not being out there. You say, well, you're a missionary. He's called, so are you. Everybody in this room is called to be a missionary. How about a, the spoken word uh, witnessing to people? Verbal witnessing. Not just the tracts, not just the Bible. How about witnessing to people? How about talking about Jesus? You know what? Some people just go right in and go at it. You know what I do? I found out the person's interest and we talk about that and then I move right into Christ. Sometimes it's better to go that way. Instead of going in there with that old pride heart and you're no good and not, not as good as I am. Better remember where you come from. What about the power of the lived word? Impact on your testimony. I live in the town of Laudenville and I got saved when I was 35. I'm 57 now. But you know what? They're still watching me. I mess up one time. I mess up one time. My testimony shot in that town. One time my testimony shot. I mean, do you come in here and serve God for uh, two hours Sunday morning, an hour Sunday night, Wednesday night, and live like the world the rest of the week? Yeah. I see it out of my own church. I can't believe some of the things I see some of the people do that I know that supposed to go to church. I don't want the person to see that missionary out there living like the world, acting like the world. I want them to see me out there witnessing like God wants me to do. power of our testimony what what a power that is them to see the life i'm telling you when i got saved them bikers in the bar started laughing he got religion they said it won't be long they even had a chart when i would come back they had a betting on me 23 years is still not collected 
And it ain't going to be collected either. I can never imagine going back to where I came from, preacher. And I try to witness to people just like that. How about the passion of the gospel? You know, lived in the shadow of the cross. You know, loved in the shadow of the cross. There's old crusty hearts out there, people that never heard about Jesus Christ. People out there right now that are hurt because they sat in church for so long and somebody hurt them and they don't want nothing to do that we need to reach them and show them the kindness of God through us that they may come back to church or even get saved. Amen? You know, we read about Philip and and, and when he went running to the eunuch and, you know, that he's reading... uh, the prophet Isaiah, and he says, in uh, 8.31, he said, How can I accept some men should guide me? And he desired Philip to, he would come up and sit with him. Listen to me, them people just ain't going to get saved because they're sitting there. They need somebody to come and guide them. They need somebody who knows about the Word of God and knows about Jesus Christ and show them what a good and mighty God that we have. You know what? It was an urgency. He ran to the eunuch. You know, he didn't wait for the soul to come to him. He ran to him. Just like Bob White Eagle, I ran to him. I can't imagine if I didn't mind God and Bob went to hell and I had a lot to do with it. You know, how about the diligence of souls? How about the labor that it takes? Some people ain't going to do something. When, when the pastor said, we need somebody in this area for help. We need somebody in this area. Well, if I do that, I'll expect that out of me all the time. Or Friday night when they ask you to bring a rake. It'd be awesome if every man in here showed up with a rake. Amen. You know, in Genesis 26, 18, it talked I. Isaac uh, digged again the well of water, and, and the the Philistines come up and they took what two or three wells off of him. What did he say? Nothing. He went over and started digging another well. Amen. Went over and started digging another well. Sometimes when you're digging that well in life, you're going to run into rocks. You know it ain't going to be easy. You're going to have to get through that rocks or that hard clay. Sometimes when you knock on that door, the first time ain't going to work. You know, despite the hardship of the rocks in the hole, despite the heartaches, uh, keep on digging. And back in there, they didn't, they didn't have drills to drill hundred some feet down. They had to do it all by hand. And they had to drill that. I mean, I'll tell you what. Somebody come up to me after I dug a hole and come and get it. But he didn't do that. When that person cusses you out, tells you to get away from me and never want to know anything about Christ, don't make that quit you. Keep digging that well. Keep digging that hole. I'm going to tell you something. 
there's this pastor and his son. They kept going out on visitation every Sunday morning or Saturday morning. And one Saturday morning, they woke up and it was raining out. And the preacher said, son, my throat's about sore now. He said, I can't go out. And he said, Dad, please let me go out. He says, you can go out if you stay in a certain area. And that son, one of his, went out and started knocking doors, handing tracks out. And he started to head home, and he started, and he seen this house. He had one track. He went up and knocked on the door of this house. No answer. Young man didn't give up. He kept knocking. Kept knocking. Finally, this little lady, elder lady, come to the door. And all he did was hand that tractor and said, Jesus loves you. And he left. On the back of it had the name of the track or the church that that track come from. She showed up to that church the next morning, went to the altar call, said, Preacher, I need to say something. Says, I was upstairs with a rope around my neck on a chair. And that door. I said, I'll just be quiet and it'll go away, but it wouldn't go away. And I opened that door. My kids don't come to visit me. Nobody comes to see me. Nobody loves me. When that little that young man opened the door and he said, Jesus loves me, I read the track and got saved. Amen. You don't know how desperate people are sometimes in their lives and how hard of a time they're going through and the kind word, just a kind word and, and just to talk to them that, that you could lead them to the Lord to show them the only one that really cares for them as much as God does. I'm telling you, you could listen to this message and, and you could just uh, listen to it and walk out that door and say, Whoa, well, listen to me, teenagers, you better get busy. You better stay away from what this world's offering you. You see so many of these young people and what they're doing out in this world today, and I get to see them in prison. You say, It can't happen to me. I see preacher sons in the prison. Because they went with the wrong person. Did the wrong thing. I tell the inmates, the only way you can be promised that you won't come back here is when you need to get saved and you need to be in a church. You need to be on your knees. You need to hang around Christian people. I'll tell you what, I've been saved for 23 years now. If I went back and started hanging around them bikers for a week, I'd probably be cussing like a preacher. I need to be around Christian people. Not these fly-by-night people call themselves Christian, go worship God on Sunday, and like I said, live like the world the rest of the week. People like you are the ones keeping the ones out there that don't like Christians in the first place because you're false. They're looking at your lives and say, hypocrite. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be mean with you. But we're in an urgent time right now that we, we, we need to be honest with each other. If someone wanted to convict you of loving souls, would they have enough evidence? Would they have enough evidence? What hardships have you gone through to win souls? What's in your life that, that maybe put you off the path a little bit? That you, you had to get away from uh, watching that TV program or going to that football game? 
What little hardships in your life it might cost you to see souls saved. <laughs> when we get to heaven, it's going to be a lot more worth it. Amen. Amen. Like I said, don't look at me. You better look at the Lord. He sent a son to die for each and every one of us if we is the only person in the world. How many of you in here are fathers or mothers? How many fathers or mothers are in here? Now let me ask you some. If somebody started bragging on your sudden daughter, wouldn't you get excited? Don't you think God, if you start bragging on his son? Amen. Amen. First Corinthians sixteen fifteen. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house stephanus, that is the fruit from anchor, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You can see how these drug addicts, they, they, they'll do anything. They'll go out and steal. They'll, they'll go out and rob. And they'll go out and kill to get that last drug. They addicted themselves to that drug or the booze or the football games. We need to addict ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and addict ourselves to the ministry of the saints. We should have that same addiction for God. Listen to me. I'm just a prison preacher. And I sure love the way God uses me in and out of prison. I'm sure thankful that I'm not a smartest person in the world, but he still uses me. Listen to me. If he can use me, he sure can use you folks. Listen to me, teenagers. What about your best friend that's lost or the girl that's lost in your schools? Huh? Are you one of them? I'm just telling you like it is. Dear Father God in heaven, we come to you tonight, Lord God. We just want to again praise you and thank you, dear Lord, for loving us and taking care of us, Father God. Lord, I know I ain't where you want me to be yet either, Father God. I know, Lord God, that I need to be 